0: Love Talk Radio. The following broadcast is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network. Golf Talk Live is sponsored by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Here's Andrew to tell you more about our sponsors. iGolf Sports This week's special guest will join us a bit later. But first up is another great discussion on Coach's Corner. So let's introduce tonight's Coach's Corner panel.
1: All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted O'Dorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Um, One program note, uh, we'll not have a special guest on the second half this week. Uh, We're going to have instead a special Coach's Corner panel discussion uh, with two Uh, Great professionals, and I'm going to introduce them here in just a second. Um, So we'll probably end a little bit earlier tonight than we typically do, but uh, we'll try to uh, get as much information as we can over the next hour and a bit and uh, try to jam-pack it in, as it were. But I want to thank everybody for tuning in live. Uh, We are live, as I mentioned, uh, every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, Best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com slash golftalklive, and we'll be there front and center during the live broadcast. Um, but for some reason, if you're not able to join us live, that's not a problem. Just visit that link and scroll down to the On Demand section and you will find all of the previously aired shows, including tonight's in its entirety, and uh, you can listen to the recorded versions when it's convenient for you. And also, it's available on pretty much all uh, platforms that podcasts are available, so you can check it out there. And at the end of the broadcast, of course, we'll go through in the closing credits, it'll tell you some of the other places that you can find us. But thanks for tuning in tonight, and uh, we're going to get right into it here. Let me... Uh, introduce the guys. Uh, First up is, of course, John Hughes, uh, PGA Master Professional and uh, Senior Editor Top 25 Instructor with Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, He's also the Honorary President of the North Florida PGA Section and was the 2013 PGA of America's Professional Development Award recipient. And uh, as well as uh, being a Top 25 and Senior Editor, he's part of Golf Tips Advisory Staff. Uh, Also rounding up the panel tonight is Jim Endicott, uh, he's been uh, teaching golf now for uh, 38 years plus, uh, former Golf Digest Schools uh, general manager, and a seven-time PGA Award winning, uh, winner, excuse me, including the 2022 North Florida PGA Section Patriot Award and two North Florida PGA Youth Development Awards. Uh, he's currently the Director of Instruction at the Royal St. Cloud uh, Golf Links in St. Cloud, Florida, and he's also a new member of the Top 25 Instructors uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. So, guys, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Ted. It's great
3: to be here. Same here, Ted. Thank you for the opportunity, as always.
1: All right. appreciate it, guys. All right, so we're going to have kind of a mixed bag. Uh, one of the things that we're going to talk about for sure is what what's a good golf warm-up routine? And we're talking about a lot of different things. We're going to get to that in a moment. And then we're also going to talk about some other ways that you can improve um, your game. And uh, I think we'll start with that first. And I think one of the things... Um, that we'll begin with is goal setting. Um, I, think it, I think we'd all probably agree that if you wanna improve your game, uh, the first thing you should do is set some goals for yourself. So uh, both short and long-term. So John, I'm gonna let you uh, strike up uh, this uh, conversation here first. And what should we be thinking about And if you wanna break it down based on the level of player, because obviously the goals are gonna be different for each level, whether a beginner or uh, intermediate or a more advanced player, uh, Feel free to do that as well. Or if you just want to pick one or the other, uh, that's fine as well. Just uh, sort of let us know what you're going to do, and and we'll go from there. But uh, how do we set some goals, and what should be some of the short and long-term goals uh, as we uh, continue through our, our wonderful golf season?
3: First off, thanks, Ted, again, for the opportunity to share the passion that I have to help people out, Jim, Always a pleasure to be with you, whether in person, locally or on TED's podcast, looking forward to a great discussion. Uh, let, let me start out by contexting goals, and that is the goals are represent plans you are making to achieve an ultimate end. And the way I say this to most people is expectations are goals without a plan. And the reason why I'm trying to tie these together is, both recently, within the past six, eight weeks, dealing with multiple people in groups as well as individuals, when I ask them what their goals are, they, they don't necessarily verbalize goals, they verbalize expectations. And with these expectations, it's like, well, where's the magic dust that these things are going to miraculously appear? And I think whether it's golf, whether it's medicine, whether it's technology, it doesn't matter what you're really after. What are your goals? What are the things? What are those things that you're really striving for that ultimately lead to ultimately lead to? The final end, and, and smaller goals can lead to a bigger end, so long as you have plans that go along with those goals. And I think when it comes to the amateur golfer, it doesn't need to be this massive, unrealistic goal of I'm shooting a hundred, I want to shoot eighty, and I want it to happen yesterday. What you need to be looking at is realistically within your life priorities, within your professional priorities, what's realistic? What, what can I do each and every day in a very small scale that over time those small things add up to big things? Let's hit singles versus home runs is another way of putting that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the goal is. What are you doing effort-wise to make those goals happen. Uh, Prior to the beginning of the show, we were talking about that to a certain extent. A lot of times people with all the best intentions set some goals, yet they don't make the efforts to actually obtain those goals, and that's where the plans are. That's where breaking things down one by one, five minutes a day, can actually lead to ultimately achieving smaller goals which can will really lead to the bigger goal that you may have, regardless of what that might be. And that's more of a general overview of how I explain goals to my clients. I'm sure, Jim, and you can detail a little bit more to it, but I feel like, hey, that, that's where we really need to start this conversation.
1: Yeah, I, I, well said, um, and, and you're exactly right. You know, I look at it – Uh, And, Jim, I'm going to certainly let you uh, chime in here as well, but I'm just going to make a a couple of quick points. You know, I I always look at it this way is um, and and, you know, whatever you want to call it, goals, a plan, um, first off, you have to have a plan, and you have to be, as you pointed out, John, you have to be realistic in your expectations. A lot of golfers set very high uh, expectations uh, on themselves, and then when they don't uh, achieve them, uh, are very hard on themselves and adds to the frustration. Um, I'm also a firm believer too is jot them down, write down, you know, and whether it be starting off in point farm, uh, what some of the the, the uh, part of the plan is going to be, some of the goals that you want, again, short and long term. Um, and then what specifically, dial in a little bit more. And, and I always think that this is a, a if you're working with a professional, it's time to really get together with them and work out something based on where you're at now and where you'd like to be. Uh, realistically, of course, um, and work that plan together with your professional and then develop, um, uh, you know, with a set of goals and then work through a plan to criteria uh, and, and getting to hopefully resolving some of the issues that you may be having. Jim, what are your thoughts on this? And I have another question for you separate from this, but I just want to give you an opportunity if you want to chime in as well.
2: well I think uh, John touched on a great point. When you when you start to uh, set out your plan or your goals – Uh, You have to look at your life. What's what's happening in your life? What can you realistically give to achieving a goal? And and that can help in establishing a realistic, achievable goal. And then we go back to uh, how are we going to get there? What, What steps are we going to take? What objectives do we have to meet that will take us on the path achieving that goal, and and I like to look at it as uh, objectives are doing something. Uh, you might only have five minutes in your day. Uh, have something that you can do that will lead you down the road to your goal. If it's something to do with your golf swing, uh, have a little drill that you can do ten reps, five reps. As long as you are doing something to achieve that uh, objective and the next step to that goal, I think a lot of times people uh, set, a, like John said, an unrealistic goal, and then the steps to get there are so uh, cumbersome that it's a daunting task to do it, and you, you don't even want to do it. So you stay away from it and then you get frustrated, oh, I'm not going to ever meet my goal. And then it kind of perpetuates you don't want to do it. Uh, so I think you need to set realistic goals, one. Two, the objectives to get there need to be small enough that in your life, in the time you have available, you can go and do something to achieve those objectives and then ultimately reach, uh, reach your goal.
1: Yeah, uh, well said uh, as well, Jim. Also, too, uh, I think one thing that, you know, we all, uh, I think, have sort of resonated as well is in addition to setting the goals and, and, you know, ensuring that they're realistic is you've got to put them into action. You've got to put that plan into action. And that's what, unfortunately, you know, John, you were sort of alluding to uh, in our conversation before we went live is, you know, we we often you know, get our students coming and they're talking about things and they're saying, well, I'm not seeing the results, but then we're finding out through discussions that they're not really doing the things that we're asking them to do in order to get that improvement and to reach and attain some of those goals. So it's great to have a plan. It's great to have goals and it's great to have steps to get there, but you've actually got to do them. You've got to execute them and execute that plan in order to uh, realize. And, And you know what? Sometimes for some people, it may take a little longer to achieve them. It depends on your abilities, but that's okay. As long as you're moving forward and you're moving in a positive direction, you'll get there. But uh, again, that goes into making sure that things are realistic. Jim, I'm going to come back again real quick to you, so take a deep breath. Uh, You know, one of the other things, uh, you know, if we want to improve, it starts with a couple of things, not just the swing and everything, but also making sure we're properly fitted. And I know we've talked about this uh, on the past many times on the show about getting fitted. I don't want to really have you go into specific about through the fitting process what I'd like you to do is to approach it from this aspect, and that is, how do we know if we're playing, you know, a lot of times we miss hit shots, we do things, it could be ability or lack thereof, but sometimes it's the equipment. How do we know as a golfer if the equipment we're playing with is right for us based on our abilities and so forth, and is there a sort of a litmus test, if you will, of what we can do uh, when we're not with our pro to check and make sure, hey, this stuff isn't really performing the way it should be for my game. And then obviously the conversation continues with your pro and you get a little bit more dialed in, but let's approach it from that standpoint is how do we know as a player that the equipment we're playing is right for us?
2: Well, I think uh, we go back to how the, how the ball is performing. And when I, when I talk about the performance of the golf ball, it's not just, is it going far enough or is it going high enough? Uh, Is it going straight enough? Uh, I think it also has to do with how does it feel. Uh, If you're improperly fit with the flex of the shaft, that strike on it may feel like you're hitting it with a a lead pipe and uh, it just flat out wouldn't feel good. And then you would also see that the the performance of the golf ball would be off. Uh, And that's the point we would want to come back to our our golf professional and talk to them. Have them look at it. If they have a launch monitor, let's hit some shots on there. Let's see what what information it's telling us as it relates to what your ball's doing. Uh, if it's not launching properly, perhaps you have the wrong shaft. Uh, if, it's, uh, if you're looking at your divots and you're seeing that uh, they're toe deep or they're heel deep, uh, then you need to know that your, your lie angle is incorrect. Um, and we can look at how the ball is flying in terms of is it hooking or slicing be influenced by that lie angle. It can also be influenced by uh, the length of the golf club in that we can't get the shape of our golf swing correct. If that golf club's too short for someone, that golf club's going to want to travel too up and down. They'll probably hit a lot of shots off the toe. They'll tend to hit them as a right-handed golfer who would curve off to the right. Uh And that'll be a help by having their golf professional look at it. Uh, There's a lot that can be done just simply by watching the player hit as the professional and watch the characteristics of the flight. The launch monitors can enhance and help that. uh, But you can see uh, pretty close to what needs to be done in that fit by how the ball is performing and how the swing shape is.
1: Yeah, and and that's one of the beauties of a lot of this technology now is you're able to really dial into some of those areas that you're talking about. And, and John, if you want to jump in and add anything further, that by all means, uh, I also look at things like a lot of, you know, areas uh, of equipment is overlooked, you know, even something as simple as the grip. You know, uh, people might think, well, grip's a grip, but, you know, there's a lot of different options out there, and some people, you know, what they're playing, it could be the size of the grip is wrong for them. Uh, the other thing is the shaft. The shaft, a lot of times people are playing too stiff of a shaft for, for their abilities. Um, so, John, what are your thoughts here? Anything you want to add to this?
3: Sure. A couple of points, uh, and just to be transparent, I'm an ambassador of club Champion uh, in Orlando, the former CEO and found, co-founder, personal friend of mine, but I, I've also been fitting clubs since 1996 and Jim and I both have a wealth of knowledge with this, and I want to provide this as a vision for people. You are the engine. Imagine yourself as a car. You're the engine. And the club are the tires. That's the wheels and the tires that get you going. There's there's something in between. That's a transmission. The shaft is the transmission. And a lot of what Jim was talking about has to do with how the energy that your engine is creating, a lot is transferred to the ball. Whether it's spin, trajectory, spin axis, uh, uh, moment of impact, angle of attack—I mean, there, there's so many variables to that. But when, as you pointed out, when it comes to grip, the, the most recent. Example I can give to you is I have a client who's literally gone from 100 to 80 in less than a year, but can't figure out why he can't break 80, and I kept telling him his jumbo grips were getting in the way. He could not release the club correctly, so as much as jumbo grips were providing him a resource to not grip the club so hard, it actually worked dysfunctionally opposite. And he was gripping it too hard, and not being able to to release the golf club. We experimented a little bit with mid size, and it actually allowed him not only to release the golf club, he gained 30 yards. And it, it was wow. it's a testament to how certain things, just small things, can make a bigger difference as you're going about setting your goals, creating the plans, as Jim said. Making the objectives realistic within your life priorities, these smaller things, as you get better, are based on bigger basics, bigger cornerstones of what you're trying to get accomplished, but are vital it's It's vital information for Jim, you, and I to understand and evaluate and when the client is open minded enough to take that suggestion without technology, just based on our ability to see what's going on. Do we need technology to really pinpoint it? Sure. I'm not going to debate that point. What a lot of people fail to recognize is when you hire someone like us, we bring a wealth of knowledge that can literally bring a whole lot of new concepts to the table that allow you to meet those goals and objectives.
1: Yeah, and and, and again, well said. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, one of the other often overlooked parts as well is the golf ball. Uh, You know, it's not just equipment we're hitting uh, or swinging with, rather, but it's that little white ball that we're hitting. Uh, You know, a lot of times you'll see people playing uh, a, a ball that's really not conducive for the type of swing. For instance, you know, if you've got somebody that typically can spin the ball very well and they're playing a a ball that uh, produces a high spin rate, in addition to that, now they're getting too much spin and they're not able to really control the ball as much. So, you know, there's adjustments there that can be made. So, you know, sometimes looking at, and and the problem is too, I think, is, you know, when you get into, and again, obviously it's part of the effect of the marketing out there, but, you know, people uh, enjoy playing uh, to a brand and that's fine, Uh, but, you know, if you're, if you're a a high handicap golfer and you don't really have the ability to make good crisp contact all the time, you know, playing, uh, you know, Pro V1 or some of these others that are high end, um, and, uh, are, or designed for a better player, um, you know, you're, you're running the risk that you're not getting the best out of that golf ball because it's not really suited for you and there's so much on the market and that's really tough so that's another area too that i think a lot of people overlook besides getting fitted properly is are they playing the right or the best ball for them so that's just something to to keep in mind when you're out there and that's a question and conversation that you can have with your with your swing coach um john deep breath i'm coming back to you for this question uh experiment with your swing uh and what i mean by that is many times you know golfers get caught up uh in sort of a single approach trying to perfect their swing that they really forget to try other techniques. So, you know, I don't think you should be afraid to try something new, um, you know, with some of your, your golf shots and consider, um, you know, making some simple adjustments, um, you know, with your takeaway as an example, maybe what you're doing typically is not working. It's not setting you up for success. So what are your thoughts here? What should people do when it comes to their swing? Obviously there are a lot of factors involved, but um, no two swings are alike. As we know, no two golfers are, are exactly the same. So, what should golfers consider when it comes to their swing? And when is too much tinkering uh, counterproductive?
3: So I, I, would, I would clarify that from an experimentation standpoint of view of do you have the skills and or the ability to experiment with ball flight? So many times I'll get clients that are, so consumed with their back swings, and I'll ask them how long they're practicing and and how much they're practicing and what they're practicing, and then I'll ask them prospectively, how does that fit into the bigger scope of things it, related to tour pros who are out there eight to ten hours a day, and can sometimes take up to two years, as documented by Faldo and. Led better back in the late 80s How long it took Faldo to change his Transitional position Just 1.78 degrees And I'll argue To the, to my death That you're just not practicing enough To make those subtle changes But you could practice enough And you could experiment enough On the golf course To learn to shape shots, To learn to control Your trajectories and I think that's a much healthier way of looking at experimentation because this experimentation actually challenges your brain to understand the impact positions, not necessarily the backswing positions, to achieve those objectives. Can you, can you make a ball turn right to left? Can you make it turn left to right? Can you send it off in the, in, to the left side and, and turn it left to right? Can you start it out low to the right and make it turn a little bit left. These are the more important experiments that a golfer can try to accomplish, not only during practice but during play. And what that provides is a little bit of confidence and not only skill, but the ability to stand over a golf ball and actually envision yourself creating that shot and you're never going to be able to envision it and pull it off until you experiment with it. What I see amongst amateur golfers in general is they'll step up to a shot without the necessary tools, what I call the toolbox. And that toolbox you have to fill during the practice time to, to have someone call out a shot, let's, let's hit a low left or right, or let's hit a right, left or right to left or it's a little bit higher trajectory wise as you start to build the confidence in those kinds of skills experimenting at the practice facility but as well on the golf course when when the situation calls for it now under pressure you're better prepared to pull not only the envisionment but the actual skill that you've experimented with and understand what you're capable of doing versus Trying to play a shot over aggressively that you don't own the skills for to me that's the best experimentation that any golfer can go through who's really wanting to achieve another level of success
1: yeah and and uh, again, you're exactly right in your analogy uh, and and I think you know you, you raise a really interesting point is you know, sort of having that, those different shots and the different, uh, uh, abilities. And, you know, I I think of somebody like a Tiger Woods who, um, you know, talked about how he had literally, um, and probably more at some point, but at any given time with any club, he had nine shots that he could use. So every time he stepped up to the ball, um, he had nine different ways of, of, approaching that shot, um, which, as you're pointing out, is those were tools in his tool bag. It's not, uh, you know, it's not necessarily just the different clubs, but it's the different abilities to work that ball, whether it's right to left, left to right, and so on. So he was able to, you know, draw from that experience. But again, it falls into to practice and, and working on those things effectively. And, uh, you know, you may not get to the, that level or that have that many in your bag, but if you have, a, uh, you know, increased the number of options that you have, um, then the, the likelihood of success is going to be that much more increased as well. So um, Jim, I'm going to move on to, to the next one, just to, in keeping with time. And this one here is, is, you know, learning to swing more. And, and uh, I'm going to preface this a little bit, you know, uh, Ben Hogan once said that the secret is in the dirt. And uh, essentially what he meant by that is uh, pretty simple is practice, practice and more practice. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of great drills. I like one. And, um, you know, if you're on a golf course, where you know you're not pressed for time maybe it's late in the day and there's not a lot of people out there uh, this is a great drill and i look at this as a drill is is the worst ball drill um and this is the scenario where you're hitting two balls um but instead of playing the best one is you play the worst one so you might have a crappy lie with one and you might have a good one for the other one play the bad one so it, it increases the repertoire uh, of what you have to do the other thing is you know uh, he talked about uh you know for those that maybe can't go to the practice team on a regular basis, you know, find an open area at home, whether it's in your backyard and even just swing practice swing the club, um, you know, maybe 50, hundred times a day, just to groove it. Cause a lot of guys get out there, maybe play once a week, but for the other six days, they don't touch the club. Uh, and now they're kind of rusty when they get out to the golf course. So what do you think uh, on, on some of that? And is there anything specific that you want to add um, to get people encouraging to swing and, and sort of building that, uh, that memory, if you will, that muscle memory and understanding um, how to swing a little bit better and groove, uh, you know, a better swing overall. What are, what are your thoughts here?
2: Well, I think uh, what we, we need to be able to do is when we are practicing at the golf course, we're on the range and we're hitting balls, uh, we need to understand that if our ball has a certain characteristic of flight, What of my lesson is not working right for me? What do I need to improve? Uh, Let's take example that their ball as a right-handed golfer, they were slicing it and curving it off to the right. And their lesson has been we need to move the grip where the Vs between their thumb and index finger are pointed more towards their right shoulder And then they have a drill, excuse me, uh, to hit balls with, say, their feet together to help to release the golf club. So they hit these shots, and um, their overall fault is one that starts left, curves right. The ball's curving to the right. We check our grip, and then we hit some shots in our drill and see if we can't get rid of the curve to the right. So now... Staying with that thought, I could take that home. I could go home, and while watching uh, the 6 o'clock news, I can have a golf club in my hand, and I can be sure I'm putting my hands on there the same way where those Vs are pointed to my right shoulder, and I can be working on that at home. Don't have to swing the golf club, none of that. I just need to be able to see that I have put it on the way my golf professional showed me to do. Then I could go in the backyard and just swing sometimes with my feet together and get that feeling. It's better to swing and see flight than to just swing because without flight, we don't have evidence of whether we are, in fact, doing it. So let's go back to that player is on the range, and now they have gotten rid of the ball curving to the right, but everything is pulled to the left. Now their lesson is, well, I need to make sure that my shoulders are square. And now to fix the left, I have to turn enough in the backswing so I can see the path down from the inside. And the drill I have is to turn and actually brush the ground before you would get to the ball, and that would be a visual of the club returning from the inside. So there's a drill you could take home and take those rehearsals and take the the practice in that drill and brush the ground behind the ball. Uh, so I think you have to be able to have evidence to identify what to work on, but then make sure that your golf professional has given you drills you can do that don't require the evidence of flight, but there's some other evidence saying I have accomplished what that drill is trying to teach me and fixing that portion of the faults.
1: So Great point. you need
2: to have enough information to, to do it at the range, but then something you can take home, and you don't have to do very many of them. I assign sometimes, depending on someone's uh, life obligations, do five mm-hmm. of these a night. Most everybody yep. can find time to do five something.
1: Yeah. And, and as I said, that those are great points because again, you know, you can practice and swing all you want, but if you're doing things incorrectly, then all you're doing is ingraining ba- more bad habits and more often. So those are great points. And, you know, the, the real point of it is, is you want to be able to, um, have an opportunity. And again, everybody's schedules are different as you point out, Jim. Um, but, The problem that I often see, and I think we all see now, is everybody's schedules have changed. They're um, busier with things, family life and things like that, and they don't always have a chance to get up to the range. So whenever possible, if you're working with your pro and you can put together some things that you can do regularly like that to keep the swing sort of in shape, not only during the season, but even in the off-season, that gives you that feedback when you can't see the ball flight, when you can't see, uh, you know, sort of getting instant uh, feedback you know, that you would have the range, um, but working on those things, putting your hand on the club correctly each time and, and that sort of thing, at least keeps you in focus and keeps you working on things that are going to be beneficial to you down the road. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people just sit around and do nothing and uh, and then wonder why they don't see the, that improvement. Um, and I'm a big John, fan of about...
2: mirror. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll throw one more thing in there. I'm a big fan of mirror work and John talked about impact and follow through portion of their golf swing, have something to see impact and follow through and see it visually in the mirror. Because again, if we don't have the ball flight to have evidence, we can see that I am getting to that position and getting to that position helps us to generate it more often when we are actually
1: swinging. You know, and, and a, just to add real quick to that, that's a great point. I've used that myself personally, uh, as well as recommend that for person. And you can get, if you don't have one at home, uh, you can go uh, and, and really get a full-length, very inexpensive uh, mirror um, that allows you to do that. And what you can do just to make sure that the positions you're getting into are correct is you can have some images taken when you're with your pro, get him to, to get, you know, face-on, down-the-line, whatever, uh, images after he's put you in those correct positions, And then you can have those as a reference so that when you're looking in the mirror, you can, uh, you know, sort of coordinate with the images that you have and say, okay, yeah, that's the same position that, uh, you know, Jim or John taught me at the course. And uh, that that looks right in the mirror. So, you know, you again, you're getting additional feedback. So that's a great point. Mirrors are great. I've used them a lot, uh, both personally and with uh, many students over the years as well. And and they're great feedback um, to uh, to give you some of the information. John, uh, I'm going to give this one to you, and that is, uh, you know, I think by the time some of us make it to the 18th hole, uh, we get a little uh, – we become fatigued, and obviously uh, a lot of issues come up. Uh, our golf swing isn't uh, – in some cases it might fall apart. Other cases it's just we're so tired and fatigued that we're just not able to, to generate the speed we need and, and so on and so forth. So our fitness is is something. Talk about some things, and again, we don't have to get into a specific program, and I just want to sort of put this disclaimer out here that, you know, anything that we're saying, you obviously want to consult with a fitness professional to make sure if anything specific is given here. I just want to make sure that you've consulted with somebody. We don't want anybody getting out there and getting hurt. So, but, John, what are some thoughts here? Because that's a big component as well. It's not just the equipment, and it's not just all about the golf swing. We've got to do some things to make sure we're golf fit and ready to be out there on the golf course your thoughts.
3: Absolutely. And uh, the most poignant example happened to me today. I had an 18 hole on course coaching session with a gentleman who's roughly in his mid 60s, very successful off the golf course, really is taking a golf and, and is extremely committed to golf. He spent a lot of money, spent a lot of time. But yet his fitness level, right around that 13th hole today, not necessarily forced him so much as coerced him into making some really poor judgment decisions. Outside of golf, he's fantastic at it. Uh, And I've quizzed him multiple times and talked to him about it after the fact today, and it turns out that Off the golf course, not only is he extremely detail-oriented, he demands of the people that he surrounds himself with to be as detail-oriented as he is. But because of his excitement, the newness of the game, but yet his fitness factor, his ability to make really good decisions under pressure later in the round, it, it got altered. Based on his fitness level, he started speeding up. He started uh, getting out of his routine. And the details to how he played the first 12 holes just weren't there. And we we discussed that heavily. And it's not – fitness isn't necessarily going to the gym and working out, although, Jim, you and I will probably agree that's one of the elements. The other part of the fitness level is your ability to recognize when fatigue sets in, technique breaks down, and what do I have to do to keep consistent with what I started with? And that is where fitness really plays a big part. Um, I've been very vocal the past three or four months about an experience I had as a young man. Uh, it was a Muhammad Ali Ken Norton fight where Howard Cosell made the comment that Muhammad Ali was losing his legs. He was losing his legs, and I looked at my father and I said, "Well, his legs are right there, Dad. What? How? How can this guy say he's losing his legs?" <laughs> and my father, very, very tactfully, said, "Well." you know what, when you get a little bit tired, the very first thing you notice is that your legs don't move the way they were prior to getting tired, and that's what this announcer was saying. And that has stuck with me for, geez, 54-plus years probably. And I think that's a lesson that we can all learn when it comes to fitness. Two things, your decision-making becomes cloudy it becomes less tentative and it, it becomes compromising while at the same time your physical fitness you begin to lose your legs and athleticism is built from the ground up it's your feet to your calves to your knees to your thighs to your hips and core to your obliques and ribcage to your shoulders down to the arms i can keep going that way but that is truly where athleticism is built. And without proper fitness, and you can build the endurance, you can build that over time, but until you build it up, your fitness level is going to be the, the, a contributory, if not a main factor, into how you ultimately will post that final score.
1: well said and and also too one other important um, you know aspect that I want to mention is you know in conjunction with you know some sort of uh, golf fitness routine to, to give you that the other part is is your energy factors and it's not just all about the physical part but it's also about good nutrition and keeping yourself well hydrated that's another big cause even for young players you know a lot of these young guys get out there and you know, having a a couple of, you know, uh, drinks out uh, along the course, maybe a few beers. And, uh, you know, even I've seen some of them get a little bit weak in the knees as they they make the turn. And a lot of that is they get dehydrated. They're not eating anything or what they are eating is not giving them sufficient energy. It's actually doing the opposite. It's breaking down uh, the sugars. They're getting spiked up and down. And ultimately they don't have the energy to carry on. And, and then they wonder why, you know, what started off to be a great round, the front nine, suddenly the back nine, you know, it's, it's almost like they didn't play. Um, so nutrition goes hand-in-hand hand with that. Yes, you've got to keep your muscles in, in shape, and you've got to do, uh, uh, you know, some good stretching and things like that. But uh, you also have to pay attention to what you eat. Uh, Nicholas talked about that in, in Golf My Way in his video that he did uh, many years ago. And he ate um, some pretty healthy stuff, uh, given the time. Uh, while he was playing, you know, he had some snacks and things that were healthy that helped keep that energy up throughout his round. So those are things that uh, you also have to keep in mind. Jim, I'm going to give you one more final uh, point that uh, we want to cover here, and then we're going to split the switch and and talk about uh, what, uh, what makes a, a good golf warm-up routine. There's a lot of areas we want to cover there as well. But this last one here is really... You know, if you want to become a better player, great you're going into the driving range, you're working on all the things but you actually have to get out in the golf course so I always try to encourage anybody, I think this is a no-brainer, um, I'm sure you have some thoughts and points here but um, you need to get out and play more, you need to actually get out and play more, that's what the game is about it's not just about hitting golf balls on the range or, or swinging uh, you know, and gripping and regripping at home it's also about getting out there and actually putting everything into practice your thoughts
2: Oh yes, I uh, um... There, there's a balance there between working on the range and uh, playing, playing in the game. And, and I think that balance is uh, person-specific. There are players who uh, improve more rapidly by being on the golf course more. I have a player that uh, if, if they were to practice uh, three hours in a week, they want to be on the range about 30 minutes and the rest of the time on the golf course. Uh, There's just not an attention span on the range. Uh, And flip that the other way, I've got players who uh, are more 50-50 or even 60% on the range and doing things around the practice screen and and doing different games and that sort, kind of simulating uh, being on the golf course, but they prefer to do it in the range setting. So there's a balance based on how that player ticks, um, But I do believe that all too often, uh, players have the tendency uh, to, to do one or the other too much. In other words, uh, there are those that will spend too much time on the range and should be on the golf course more, and there are some that are on the golf course more than, and they maybe need to have a little more time on the range and and the, and the practice needs to be like you were saying go out in the evening uh, get on the golf course and let's play our worst situation or let's play two balls and play the best one or let's go out and go to different situations that seem to uh, be troublesome for us in a round uh, perhaps you're you have a difficult time hitting it if you happen to hit it into the trees keeping it under the branches and getting it out of that trouble. Go drop four or five balls in that setting and, and hit them and see them on the golf course and visualize them doing what you want them to do. So create the situations. Maybe it's not just tee to green, one through nine, and go home. It's It's, it's actually working on the golf course. So, again, I think it's a balance for the player. It's how do you tick? which way which place do you need to spend the most of your time but make sure that you have going back to what we talked about in the opening of the show have your objectives have your goals have your plan of what you're going to do have a system to work the plan to get to the objectives accomplished to get to the goals
1: yep well again well said and and really you have to ask that all important question too is is why. Why are you there? Are are you, you know, just want to go out and have a good time once in a while? If you're not really all that uh, serious about your game, uh, you know, whether you're good or not, it's just something you do maybe a couple times a year with with some family or friends, Um, you know, then that's a different story. You don't need to maybe uh, be as diligent about some of the things that we're talking about here. Um, But if you're somebody that really, truly wants to improve, then you have to, there are certain things that you have to do. And again, it depends on what area. And as you said, Jim, you know, you have to sort of mix it up a little bit and find the, the right balance for you based on uh, what your objectives and, and so forth are. All right, we're going to switch gears here and we're going to talk uh, and get into a different discussion here. Um, and that's, what's a good golf uh, warm-up routine. So we all know that the first few holes of, of golf can sort of set the tone for the rest of the round, uh, whether it's a good, bad or ugly. Uh, and I, I think this is just a sort of a general routine that I put I, again, let me preface this: that uh, you know, you can adjust and tailor it to suit your own individual needs. But this is just sort of a, a guide. And uh, before I, I turn it over to, to John, is um, for his opening sort of comment. Is I recommend, and this is a warm up. This is not a full practice session. This is warm up. You're getting ready to play that day. Um, I always recommend you get there a little bit earlier. This is a maximum 30 minutes. Um, some may not want that much them may want to do. Again, you, you adjust it, but I think if you want to go through the gamut, uh, if you do a good 20, certainly 30 minutes, uh, good warm-up before you actually hit the course, uh, you can really get yourself prepared. So, John, the first one I want to talk about, it sort of backs, uh, piggybacks onto the fitness, and this is one I, I see a lot of guys don't do. I see them out hitting balls and putting and whatever. I don't see them doing any sort of warm-up or stretches, and I recommend at least two, maybe even three minutes. Get your body loose, and there's certain areas that you're trying to really focus on, your hips, your thoracic spine, and obviously your shoulders, that's going to be what's most engaged uh, throughout uh, your golf swing. And that's one that areas that are going to be susceptible to injury if you're not doing things properly. So give us a thought on sort of warming up stretches and things like that. How much time should they spend? And our, I know we don't have the visual component here, but maybe if you want to give an example of some stretches that you like uh, to get people ready uh, to get into their practice routine.
3: I, I, would, I would tell you, Ted, that if the warm-up routine starts before you ever get in the car to go to the golf course with stretching hamstrings, glutes, obliques, hip flexors, calves, uh, anything you can do prior to getting in the car that just gets blood circulating, gets muscles understanding what's going to be expected of them, in the coming hours, and then once you get out of the car, I always know, looking at the range, who's more serious about their golf game With when the person is stretching on the range, uh, being able to separate core from upper body, being able to do lunges, which does exactly that. If you put your right leg forward and then turn your left shoulder to the right, that is separating upper from lower while at the same time really trying to stretch the hamstrings of one leg, the glutes of the other. When it comes to putting your legs together, putting your knees locked together, and reaching the ground, that is something I have almost every client. I ask every client to try to do. And without fail, most of them unlock their knees to reach the ground, thinking that's ultimately what I'm trying to see. But if they keep their knees locked, understanding how much flexibility they have in their hamstrings and glutes, which are the ballistic muscles of the golf swing, this is going to dictate to you how much you're going to be able to accomplish that day whether it comes to straightness, whether it comes to length, whether it comes to both. And I think anything you can do to stretch out those particular sets of muscles as well as the radial rotation of your forearms. So many times I see people try to spear shots, and they do that by either blocking the ball or over-rotating the wrist And when you understand it's the radial rotation of your left forearm for the right-hander, right forearm for the left-hander, that actually creates the release of the golf club. Fearing it has more to do with where you put the leading edge, the release of the golf club. What you're looking for to release the energy through the ball has more to do with your forearm or the front arm, as well as rotation of the shoulder socket. Any of those things that you can do to just provide some relief, not necessarily flexibility but relief from what you do on an everyday basis, is going to go a long way to allowing you to be free of injury, uh, allowing you some freedom of movement, but also freedom of knowing all I've got to do is strike the ball. All I've got to do is turn through the ball and allow this sequence of motion to work on its own. I don't have to manipulate it. The stretching beforehand goes a long, long way towards that ultimate end.
1: Yeah, and and it's so important. And, again, you know, what I like to do, and I, I try to recommend this to, to students, I agree with you. I think you need to, you know, certainly do some warm-up stretches and that before you even get in the car and you head to the course. And it's also a good idea, I think, when you get there, too, to maybe even – uh, you know, depending on how long of a drive you've got, you may even want to rehearse and do some of those again, uh, just to uh, you know get that sort of final loosening up, loosening up, um, uh, you know, with some stretches and that. Because sometimes, again, if you're got 20 or 30 minute drive to the golf course, you know you're stiffening up again a little bit if you're sitting down for that length of time. So, um, but you make a lot of great points. Um, what I'm going to do, uh, guys, is just pause one second. We're going to take a, a quick. Uh, break here and we'll be right back Jim I've got uh, the next uh, phase of this that I want to talk to you about Um, but first we're going to hear a great message from Golf Tips Magazine
0: The following ad is sponsored by Golf Tips Magazine Are you tired of being short off the tee? And what about those three putts? Forget about it. It's time you got serious about your game Golf Tips, the most in-depth magazine in the industry. For over 30 years, Golf Tips has delivered expert content such as the latest golf instruction from America's top pros, simple-to-follow practice and game improvement drills, fitness and mental game tips, equipment, training aids, accessory and apparel reviews, golf destinations and travel tips for every budget, and so much more. Don't miss a single issue. Go to golftipsmag.com and subscribe today.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. And uh, joining me, of course, uh, this evening for a special Coaches Corner panel uh, is none other than uh, PJ professional John Hughes and Jim Endicott, uh, both uh, members, uh, if you will, top of the top 25 with Golf Tips magazine. And uh, we're here talking about what's a good golf warm-up routine, and we just talked uh, with John, uh, have him talk a little bit about uh, some warm-up and stretches and that before we get out there. Um, Jim, I'm going to come to you. and. And this is a warm-up on the driving range, and and I'm going to give a couple of examples here, and certainly get you to add into uh, your thoughts on it. And you may have a slightly different approach, but you know, I, I use this sort of guideline, as you will, to for really two reasons: really to help build confidence, so that uh, going forward you know that you're going to be ready to hit any shot that might be needed out there. Uh, and it also is is designed to help you sort of get dialed into thinking about distance control and accuracy. So. Um, obviously you sometimes maybe rarely hit your targets, uh, but this is going to help get you prepped for aiming, uh, when you get out on the golf course. And, uh, uh, so what I like to do is I like to get them to warm up for about 15 minutes doing the following, um, maybe hitting, uh, you know, start them with the pitching wedge. Um, some might want to start with the sand wedge; That's fine too, but I like to start with the pitching wedge, get them to hit about five balls, uh, no target, just getting, uh, warm and, and uh, with your pitching swing, Then I like to move into another five balls, same club with the pitching. This time I'm going to get them to aim uh, at the 100-yard sign, or or certainly might be a flag that's out there, and just sort of aim at a specific target with those swings. Uh, Then I'm going to dial them into their 8-iron. This time I'm going to increase the distance to 150 and get them to hit or aim at that particular target. They may not reach it, but it gives them a whole new target. Uh, And I'm going to move down through the the, the clubs a little bit more. Um, The last two I'm going to end with here, and then Jim, I'm going to get you to, to talk about this, is, you know, if they're using a three-wood or even a five-wood, uh, obviously you want to keep that accuracy. So what I try to get them to do is to visualize roughly about a 15-yard gap and try to aim through that gap just for, uh, for more accuracy. The same thing with the driver, again, maybe three, four to five balls each. And then the last thing I want to do is to get them to practice their first tee shot. So if they've been to that course before and they know they hit anywhere from one to three attempts, visualizing out in the range what that first tee shot is going to look like, again, maybe using that 15 or even a 20-yard gap and sort of help dial in on their aiming. What are your thoughts here? Um, I think this has been – I've found it to be very effective with some of my students. You may have a different approach, but uh, I'm interested in your thoughts on on what we've just talked about.
2: I love what you've just said there uh, as it relates to the full swing. Uh, I like to – once we've gotten beyond the stretching – Portion of our arrival is I like to have our my players uh, go to the practice screen first and and the reason I do that we've been driving in the car we're not at the golf course yet and let's go to the practice screen and hit uh, let's say six putts three in one direction and the length of the putt is some 40 feet and then we go down and we putt back opposite direction of what we just did three putts about 40 feet and the reason i have that long one we don't have an expectation of making it two we're just kind of getting a feel of what the green is and three and the most important part of this is i want to be at the golf course now i don't want to be in the car i don't want to be thinking about uh that phone call i had on the way in from work or whatever i want to arrive to the golf course then I like to do just very much what you've described in terms of the full swing, but I do recommend that the first few shots, again, not towards a target, but I like to put them on a tee, have that ball in a perfect situation to build some confidence that I'm going to make reasonably good contact and give myself that confidence that hmm, I'm hitting it pretty well. And go through the bag much like you've described Uh more finite with the wedges in the target and a little broader uh, spectrum on the, on, the, on the driver. But I also like to hit some uh, intermediate wedges uh, at some point during the, the warm-up. It might be that we do wedges up to eight iron, uh, six iron or so, maybe down again to some small pitches, maybe a 40- or 50-yard pitch, then back up uh, and on through to the driver. Then I like to go back to the practice screen. And now I'm going to hit some putts at that reasonable length, maybe 15, 20-footers. Let's see if I might make a few of those. Then I like to, right before I go, I like to put three balls down very, very close to the hole so that there's not much chance I'll miss it, and I want to hear that ball drop in the hole and give me that that sound and that feel that uh, my ball's going in the hole, and then I like to go to the tee.
1: Yeah, and some again some great points, and, and that's why you know I emphasize too is again to tailor this to suit your specific needs. So every player is going to be a little bit different. Uh, I agree with you. Um, sometimes you know heading to the putting surface first. Um, all of the areas I'm, I'm going to you know we're going to cover uh, doesn't necessarily have to be in this particular order, um, but I want to just uh, sort of get it out there as what I think are some some good tips uh, to be able to improve. And what I like to do, in addition to what we've already talked about with, with the stretching and, and the, uh, you know, 15 or so minutes uh, with the initial warm-up, is dial in specifically on the short game with some additional uh, 5 to 10 minutes of time. And, and, John, you know, again, dealing with chipping and pitching, uh, warm up should make you feel comfortable with striking and, and, and confident playing the shot. Uh, and what I like to do is maybe pick a simple 8 to 10-yard chip uh, off the, just off the green and hit. Uh, five to 10 chips trying to, uh, you know, get as close to the hole as I can. And then I might select two of these others, Uh, three key. uh, Here's some three key shots and maybe have five practice attempts at each. And here are some examples, which kind of goes to what you were talking about, Jim. And that is maybe like a 15 yard uh, chip from the rough might be a 30 yard bump and run and maybe even a 10 yard bunker shot uh, or somewhere in that uh, range. So I I like to kind of go through the gamut on the range uh, as we discussed, and then maybe specifically dial in with some. And, again, you can mix them up. But, John, what are your thoughts here um, with uh, on the short game? What do you like to see your students doing uh, when they're just getting ready to get out on the golf course when it pertains to their short game?
3: What, what we're hearing is the variations of how people can warm up, but ultimately when you're talking about chipping, pitching, putting is distance control distance control based on green speed and your ability to understand that. And you provide a really good example of why you need to vary different shots and different clubs just to understand how various shots and various spin ratios are going to react to the green speed that you're going to play. And that's, it's not necessarily the mechanics of warming up so much as the result of your warm-up? What, what will the green do when certain speeds of swing create ball spins or, or ball speeds that are going to react a certain way on the greens? When I'm trying to bump and run versus trying to throw the ball up in the air uh, with those variations that you spoke about, how does the ball react on the green and how does the green speed vary how I'm going to adjust my landing areas or what clubs I should pick from various distances or for that matter, what clubs to a certain spot on the green should I be picking based on how the ball is going to react to the green speeds. It's not, like I said, it is somewhat mechanical. It is somewhat merging as far as what you're doing, but it's also about what can you consistently do and know you do, and how does the ball react? And based on the reaction, how will you make adjustments in your plan to play the golf course during your warm-up that will effectively allow you to score your best?
1: Well said, uh- john you're exactly right and you know really the the you hit it right on the head and and it isn't really so much about uh the mechanics you know when you're warming up you're not trying to think of making sure everything's you know your arm's in the right place the swing is exact and the grip is exact i mean certainly you want to pay attention to those things but really what you're doing is trying to ascertain okay what's the ball doing for me today um, when i'm swinging my full shots what's happening? Um, and making sure that you're preparing as best you can. If you start breaking it down and overthinking the process when you're getting ready to hit out in the golf course, that's a recipe, in my opinion, for disaster. So um, I, I think you guys raised some, some great points. Um, you have to differentiate that. When you're in a full practice session with your coach or, or uh, you know, uh, teach a professional, that's a different story. You can work on those things. But when you're getting ready to warm up, it's really about finding out what's the ball going to do today under different conditions and circumstances. And certainly the swing is important, but you don't want to start tinkering with that ahead of time. And just to, to cap off with the putting aspect of that, I agree uh, with both, what both of you said. Uh, really what I think you're, you're trying to get to for, for you golfers out there is really two areas. One is obviously building confidence um, in your putting, but understanding the pace of the greens that particular day. If it's you know kind of damp in the morning and that, you know they're going to run a little bit slower if they're dried out. You know it's going to be quicker. So you want to get an idea of the, the speed and pace of the of the greens in that particular day. And there's a variety of different things that you can do. I uh, like what Jim said is sort of starting off with some longer putts, sort of getting that feel and then ending up with some really short putts that you know you're likely 99.9%. Uh, you're going to knock those in and listen to that, that ball dropping into the hole. That sound is, is nothing uh, more exciting than that in golf is hearing that ball drop in the hole, especially if it's for a birdie or or an eagle, or what have you, or just uh, maybe saving uh, par. So um, putting warm-up, that's just some guidelines. Uh, again, maybe 5 to 10 minutes um, is a good idea. And uh, Jim, this one here that I want to uh, tackle as well, um, no golf game is is immune from this, and that is the mental side of things. Uh, this is commonly missed out, so golf mental warm-up, if you will, can be just 2 to 3 minutes, maybe 5 minutes, depending on, uh, again, your your abilities and what you want to do. But um, again, this is an important part. Um, one of the things that I like to do is, is to get them to sort of avoid standing on that first tee and just suddenly thinking of your, you know, to yourself, you know, what am I trying to do again? Um, you know, we've all sort of been there. You get sort of brain fog. So I like to have them think of maybe some key swing thoughts or focus uh, on something specific. So it might be a smooth takeaway, what have you, uh, as they've gone through their, pro, uh, their pre-shot routine Um, then sort of have that one key swing thought um, and not really uh, get too bogged down with all of the the mechanics and so forth. Give us your thoughts on that as we mentally prepare to step up on that first tee. What do we need to do?
2: Well, I think that uh, goes back to the warm-up session on the range. Uh, At some point after we've got the blood flowing and we've seen some balls fly and we're going through the different clubs in the bag, uh, I like to, at that point, Uh, start into my routine and and truly go through the same exact routine that I would go through on the golf course from the point of selecting the club. And so I would pick a target out there in the range, and I love to be able to pick a target as high in the sky as I can and very specific when uh, I'm looking at my aim point there. Uh, and I start to visualize it. Uh, When I go through the process of hitting a shot on the golf course, uh, I start visualizing it when I stand behind the ball. Uh, I visualize it as I take a rehearsal swing. I visualize it as I get over the ball and maybe I've waggled, and I've looked at that target again. Again, that target's very high in the sky until I get very close to the green. Uh, And I'm seeing my ball on the range, Do what I want it to do so that then when I get to the golf course or I'm on that first tee, I'm doing the same thing. And if you're playing a golf course that you're familiar with, uh, some of your visualization and planning and mental preparedness can happen in the car coming to the golf course. You can think about that first hole. I've got an idea of I'm going to hit it at this target, and that's where I like to hit it uh, each and every time. And then I have to maybe massage that slightly based on wind direction. And uh, as you said, uh, the weather may have some effect to it, cold versus hot. Um, But I've already kind of visualized what that ball is going to do and stay very away from mechanics in the warm-up process and the routine on the golf course. And it's so easy on the golf course when we hit an indifferent shot to come back to, oh, Well, was my grip right, or did I align myself correct, or was my left arm doing the correct thing here, or my shoulders? No, stay playing golf. You've built a golf swing that works on the golf course. You need to stay playing golf, see your target, visualize your ball going there, and make your plan of how you're going to hit it that far at that target. And if it goes indifferent, fine, get out of that trouble in one hit, and then go and stay in the target. Don't go back to mechanics on the golf course.
1: Yeah, and that's that's a fantastic point because, uh, again, unfortunately, um, as we, I think the three of us can attest to, uh, with, uh, you know, teaching, um, you know, with many students, uh, that that's a very common thing for them to do is to start, uh, you know, analyzing the swing and breaking it down. What did I do right? What did I do wrong? You know, when you're done, when you step off the 18th green, and you're heading to, uh, you know, to have a, maybe a cocktail with your friends and, and laugh and joke about what you just did um, and, and just enjoy the, the moment, um, you know, it's okay to jot down a few notes on your scorecard or on, on what have you um, and, and then sort of do a self-analysis, anal- not at that point, but maybe later on this evening or maybe even the next day uh, to make note of some of the, the issues that you recognize. But don't, as you pointed out, Jim, uh, don't start, you know, dialing into all that when you're 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 there to play with whatever you've got, whatever game you've got that day. And there's a time and a place to work on some of those issues that may creep up during that round. But um, the golf course is not the place to do it unless it's in a, a, a playing lesson of some sort. But um, great points, guys, and I think that kind of wraps up. And as I said, if you add up all the the minutes that I did, and again, you adjust it accordingly. And I, I always suggest that you work with your pro to develop a great. Warm up routine, whatever is good for your game. Everybody's different, as I said. I think you're going to be, uh, successful and just stick with it. Work through it. Adju- make adjustments along the way. If you need to, if it's not working for you, go back to your pro and say, hey, let's see if we can tinker around with this to get something that's going to be a little bit more uh, beneficial and it's going to get me really ready when I step out on that golf course. Um, great discussion. We're going to continue in a little different direction. Uh, John I talked to you about this and Jim I'd like you to stick around too if, if you're welcome to do that um, uh, John I'd like to give you an opportunity you've just uh, come back to uh, uh, Orlando from uh, an extended stay up at uh, Macklemore Golf Club up in the foothills of, of Georgia a great facility and I visited there as well but you were there for a different reason why don't you get the conversation going telling us a little bit about what you've been doing up there and then we're going to dial into some specific things and then Jim I'd like to get your thoughts on some of this as well
3: Sure. First off, thanks on behalf of Macklemore, uh, Dwayne Horton, Charlie Reimer, Conley Clemens, Doug Amore, Ryan Emerson. Uh, I'm going through the list of people who go above and beyond in a very genuine way to make Macklemore feel like you're part of the family and the, the six weeks, almost six weeks I spent up there, I was up there doing a lot of different golf schools, a lot of different variations of golf schools, whether it was individual, small groups, large groups, that met with a lot of success, and the the long-term aspect for me is to be more present there, but I think the, the underlying message to the listening public to your podcast is there's a lot of unsung, underrated facilities across the country, such as Macklemore, that offer such a great value from a membership standpoint of view, as well as let me go visit. Let, let me get that bucket list place that no one's ever heard of yet, the magazines, the, the publications, the the various rating services continually rank a Macklemore above and beyond some of the other places and, and you sort of sit there and go, Why? Why why is this, this? and until someone actually visits Macklemore, you'll never understand why. I, I've I've put a lot of things On social media So is my stepdaughter Who does my social media You have to go there And understand what it's about And what it offers you And in particular Macklemore from a variation Of elevation From a variation of Side hill, uphill, downhill From a variation Of hey I'm going to play A canyon design Versus a highland design Versus a parkland design just on their Highlands course, there, there's not too many places around the world that will offer you that kind of opportunity to test your game, test your skills, while at the same time when you're done with 18, you, you sort of sit there and go, wow, what did I just experience? But it's the next day when, you're, when you realize exactly what you experienced. And, and sort of go, wow, this, this, this is a place I could really call home, but it's also a place I could challenge. And, I, and I'm sure Jim's been to many, many places like that, as have I. But, Ted, you being there has really, I, I, I think, from a, from a more cerebral standpoint of view, the, the one thing that it offers golfers is the peace, the tranquility I, I call it the deafening silence of what that course has to offer and your ability to rationalize who you are as a golfer and what you're trying to get out of golf.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I had the opportunity to come up, uh, albeit a, a shorter visit this time, but uh, certainly uh gonna extend that. And and obviously, for me, it was initially more of a fact-finding. I hadn't had the opportunity. You have obviously been to the, the property a number of times. Uh, and obviously, you know, uh, initially, you were sort of investigating the, the opportunities and the possibilities and uh, and really dug right in with, with some of the variations, as you mentioned, in golf schools. And, Jim, the reason why I wanted you to stick around as well is I know uh, you're very experienced with the golf st- school uh, s- situation as well, so you understand really Uh, the benefits, we're going to talk about that. But let me just tell you about a little bit about my experience um, at Macklemore and why I found it to be um, a a very, very um, intriguing destination um, to to visit. And obviously, as as you point out, John, it really is a community. It's a mountaintop golf community. Um, The views you're overlooking, uh, you know, as Charlie Reimer, uh, who is the uh, executive vice president, uh, you know, you're overlooking – uh, on a, a really clear day, you can actually see over, I think it was three or possibly even four states. You can sort of catch the corners. It's just in that view. It's, it's on the Georgia side of, of Lookout Mountain. Um, they've got uh, the Highlands course, obviously, is, is already open, and they're working on uh, another course as well. And, 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 John, you can touch on that a little bit later. Um, you have a better uh, understanding. But um, what I found is, and unfortunately, on this particular trip, I didn't get a chance to play. Uh, but I'm going to make sure, uh, darn sure, the next time I do. But I did get a chance uh, to to see some of the uh, various different holes. And 18, let me tell you, folks, if you've never uh, been up uh, top of a mountain and seen a golf hole that basically borders uh, that mountain, it's, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at one point, it's uh, about a 2,200. So it's a long ways down. Uh, You definitely don't want your ball to go there. Uh, But it's absolutely breathtaking. It's a great way to finish. Uh, many other holes like that along the golf course, uh, <laughs> breathtaking, and and I, I want to point out too. Uh, and I mentioned this, uh, you know, when we had our conversation uh, with with Charlie and and, uh, and Conley, uh, who is their uh, director of marketing. Um, what I found really refreshing, and and again, I know people might say, well, this is at a lot of resorts. I found extra refreshing here, was that their staff. Every single day, you know, John, when we would roll up into, you know, whatever we were doing, uh, yourself and, of course, uh, Gene Purpleant, who is uh, uh, one of the photographers uh, associated with golf tips and, and obviously his company, Design Theory, was up there as well, is how nice the staff were. I mean, every morning, good morning and just very welcoming and just friendly, engaging. Uh, and that's something in a lot of businesses you don't see anymore. And they, you really feel like you're part of that community when you're up there, even just as a visitor. A lot of great options. We'll get into more of that. But, um, uh, John, anything you want to add to that, and then we'll get into some specific.
3: Sure, and I I want to tie Jim into
1: this because what a
3: lot of your listening public doesn't understand is Jim and I have, have have something in common. We're both national directors of instruction. He calls himself a general manager of golf digest schools. Which arguably Is the the measuring Post the litmus test Of what golf schools is all about And this dates back to 1974 uh, Bob Toskey Jim Flick, Davis Love uh, The second Being able to put together What arguably everybody's Patterned their golf school And or golf instruction of groups After And I think Jim can probably speak on behalf of, of his experiences. I know he's never been to Macklemore, but, but I think he can relate to the conversation in ways that the general public, the general listening public can understand when it comes to what the two of us look for in, in a holistic way as well as a total experience way of what a golf school should be.
1: Yeah, Jim, go ahead.
2: Yeah, I would say a golf school is is an experience. Uh and a, a resort like a Macklemore, uh you you have the vacation experience of the resort itself and while you're there it's a productive uh impact on your game. Uh you come out and you have uh you know when we did the golf schools with Golf Digest or with John Jacobs, uh you would have uh, some dinner functions and you would have golf instruction during the day. Uh, and then you'd have an opportunity to go on the golf course with your professional. And then through the course of the five days there, you you had some other social hours where you got to kind of talk with the other participants of uh, how your day went and what you learned and and how much fun you had on the golf course and, and how you needled your buddy uh, while he was uh, struggling a little bit, and then he gave it back to you when uh, you missed that three-footer for uh, the, the skin. Um, and uh, you're learning together, and, and the, the camaraderie that goes on with, uh, with a golf school at a resort like that, it's, it's amazing, and the, the glue to what happens is, is golf. Uh, I recall an experience uh five day golf school. I had forty people in the golf school, and uh the two of the most unlikely people became fast friends and would only play golf with each other as the week progressed because they hit it off so well and and to give you their backgrounds, one was the vice chairman of Air France and the other one his occupation was to buy and sell greyhound dogs that raced. Uh, so very, very different people and personalities and backgrounds. And uh, through the course of a golf school and the experience at the resort, they, they became really quite close friends and, and planned on playing golf together uh, in the future after golf school was finished. So it's, you know, it's a great way to vacation in learn.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting uh, point that you make, too, because what what's interesting, I think we would all probably agree with this, what's interesting about the golf game is, again, it doesn't matter where you're from or who you are or what your um, outside abilities are. When you step on the golf course, um, the only thing that really stands out is your abilities on the golf course. So you could be the CEO of a Fortune 500 company or somebody that – you know, uh, works in, in a, a small restaurant or a fast food restaurant or what have you. And, uh, but you're both there to enjoy the experience. And one of the things I really, uh, and again, w- with Macklemore being uh, still, uh, you know, what I would classify as early out of the gate, obviously they have a full uh, 18 available now. And, and John, I'll get you to touch on, on some of the other amenities as well here in just a moment. But, you know, what I really found very interesting is, uh, again, you've got such great views uh, a, a great community is developing there now. Obviously, there's real estate opportunities, um, but you're, you're up in in the clouds essentially, um, and you're part of a community, and they make you feel that way. And the amenities are, are you know, fantastic. Uh, more to come, obviously, as as uh, things progress. Um, but it, it's just it, it's just a, a, a like you said, John. Very surreal. Very quiet. Um, having a good time and just you know working together, and I like you know with the with the golf schools as as Jim pointed out, it's a great way to sort of build up some camaraderie uh, amongst amongst those that have a common uh, interest. And uh, Macklemore is a great facility to uh, to experience that through, and and golf tips is is uh, going to be a part of that moving forward as well uh, with uh, with your help, John, and and uh, obviously. Uh, the hospitality at Macklemore, but John, do you want to touch on maybe some of the other amenities that are the, the coming up? Uh, whatever you feel uh, uh, led to to talk about, and then we can get into a little bit more specifics if you like uh, about the school.
3: Sure, I, I, I want to be brief is more much more than specific because I know that Charlie Rymer, Conley Clemens will be part of the podcast here shortly, and and I'll be joining them to detail all that. I I think I want to save the crescendo for them, but two (laughs) things that really stick out is Cloudland. Cloudland is a curio by Hilton Hotel, 245 rooms. I was very fortunate to actually tour that hard hat and visitor vest and insurance waivers and such, and through Dwayne Horton, and, and it's, it's an incredible property. If you can imagine an infinity pool leading to a cliff edge that drops you 1,500-plus feet down, and that's your entrance. That, that is the envisionment of when you enter that hotel, and everything else is based upon that. Uh, it's it's an exce- it's an exceptional value, it's an ex- it's an exceptional experience. As Jim said, one of the things that it, when I ran Golf Digest schools, it was always about wow factor, and I'm sure Jim will agree. It's not only wow factor is part of your experience of of improving your golf skills, but where you are and who you're sharing that experience with, as he alluded to. That really makes a difference, and then the second big thing is the outpost. I was very fortunate Monday night to sit with Mr. Horton, his landscape architect, his roofer, and and I'll get into that very quickly. And as well as his director of agronomy, the superintendent of the new course called the outpost, to understand the detail that some of these resort facilities go to to not only attract you but but to appeal to you Uh, and i think that's two different words with two different definitions the roofer in particular uh ted had the opportunity to share some dinner with me and gene and ted i'm not sure if you're aware but if if the view if the listeners were to go online and look at the craig spelled c-r-e-a-g and realize that is one piece roof, just one piece. And one person got on top of that and hammered the curvature to that roof. Wow. I didn't realize that until the dinner Monday night. And, and the person who did the hammering was sitting next to me having dinner, and as I, the, the story was being told, he just sort of looked at me and very humbly said, you know what, that's just me. That, that's just yep. who I am and what I'm about. And, and in a lot of ways, what people have to understand related to their golf game, the metaphor is who are you and who are you about related to your golf game? And, and I think that one particular location brings that out in people. There's probably many locations across the world that can bring that out of you. But I think as golfers, as coaches, you, me and and Jim included, we're always after what's best for our golfers. And in my case, you know, I've got Florida, and so does Jim. But the, the absolute compliment is the deafening silence, the the serenity mm. of what you experience up on top of that mountain that's really going to be appealing worldwide for years to come.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and just to sort of get, and again, you're exactly right. We're not going to get into, you know, too much detail because we want to save that for uh, Charlie and and Conley when they come uh, on the show. And, and as uh, some of you may recall, uh, we were all scheduled last week and unfortunately the weather didn't cooperate and we had to literally cancel almost last minute. So, um, regrettably, uh, we weren't able to uh, to bring them on and and uh, and have that conversation. And we'll get into much more detail uh, about Macklemore and and some of the upcoming uh, things going on in, in more detail. And and uh, I know uh, both Charlie and, and Conley will will be excited to talk about that. And and uh, and we'll be excited to share in that as well. Um, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna work to uh, to get that rescheduled as quickly as possible. We're just trying to coordinate everybody's. Uh, time and whatnot, but uh, we'll get that uh, here before too long. Um, but, you, you know, I, I like it. You know, what was interesting to me um, was, at, you, you hit it right on the head, John, is it was really deafeningly quiet. Um, and, you know, driving through the, the, some of the community and, you know, heading to, you know, by the pro shop and, and over where, the, the, you know, you had set up for, for the golf school. Um, it was just a very relaxing and, um, and, you know, hearing people talk. You know, that was a nice thing as you could, you know, sort of stop. And as you introduced me to, to a number of different, um, you know, uh, individuals involved with, you know, at McLemore, uh, besides, you know, uh, some of the principals, uh, is they were very engaging, not just friendly, but very engaging and excited to tell you about some of the things going on, uh, which which is nice. Um, you know, it kind of gives you uh, um, you know, a, a little better flavor, and uh, you know, I, I, again, um, I, I couldn't do it justice to describe the views, but it's just amazing. And um, and you know, if, if you go to the Mclemore, and it's uh, dot, like the M C uh, L E M O R E dot com, uh, you can see that for yourself. And I'll give that again at the end of the show. But um, there's some great video footage of what it actually looks like, uh, the holes, and and uh, some of the other things going on but uh definitely want to take a look at that but john um you know i I don't want to as i said we don't want to get into too much more but maybe we could sort of if you want to wrap up and talk about uh the schools just a little bit more what what's coming up and and what we're uh, you know sort of gearing towards uh you know whatever you feel appropriate and then jim if you want to add any final points as far as schools what people should be looking for in a golf school
3: Sure, I'm going to defer to uh, Jim right away uh, because he and I have shared this conversation in the past. What comprises a great gospel, regardless of where you're going? Because, again, we share a lot of common background, but we've had this conversation off air numerous times, and I just like for Jim to sort of, put his two cents in here and into his experience as to what really comprises, makes up, and completes a great gospel for any golfer.
2: Well, I would say uh, the, the, the critical ingredient is that the golf instruction is on point. Uh, that's why they're there. They're there to learn the The second part to that is the the overall experience, and, and we're trying to have an experience here of the resort, the uh, the social aspects of it, and all that, that also has to be on point. And the the, the mix of, uh, of good golf instruction and a great resort experience is what makes a golf school uh, that we're talking about so so wonderful. Uh, You're going to relax, enjoy a great resort, but you're going to improve something that you're passionate about. And uh, so when you put all those components together, uh, it's really a a very unique and uh, very fulfilling type of a vacation. Uh, And it's a vacation. Uh, It's a learning vacation, if you will. Well,
1: Well, uh, again, well said. John? John, I think you might. Bear
3: with me. No, bear with me. I'm just trying. I'm on mute and in between different things here. Uh, I think Jim said this really, really well. It's about your total experience. It's not necessarily about where you are. It's about who you are, who you're with, and, who, and what you're going to experience from a learning process, but an overall enjoyment process as well. And I think whether it's Macklemore or anywhere else, that and I'm going to tease this, I'm going to throw the softball out there, Anywhere else Ted chooses for us to be, I think all the listeners are going to not only enjoy who they're with, they're going to enjoy where they are, and it's going to make memories for a lifetime.
1: Well said. Um, we're going to get, as, as you pointed out, John, we're going to get into a much more in-depth uh, discussion about Macklemore. Uh, when Charlie Reimer and, and uh, Conley Crimmins join us uh, weeks to come. Uh, again, we'll check their schedules and see what we can tee up. Um, but uh, we'll get into more depth about that and, and, uh, and explore uh, some of the opportunities that are going to be created uh, with, with the, the, the golf school and, and so forth. But um, uh, very, very exciting. And if you haven't had a chance to be there yet, if you've never been to Macklemore, um, and you want to get see a little snippet of, of what the facility looks like and some of the amenities there, if you go to www.themaclamore and it's m c l e m o r e.com uh there's some great video there there's uh, some overview of uh the golf uh, that's available and that to come and uh a little bit uh, vision of the property overall but we'll get into more in depth as i said when uh, we we'll do that but um but anyways um on that note um i think we'll we'll wrap it up i think you guys have been on here long enough and probably you're itching to uh, unwind from your, your busy days, but I appreciate you guys coming on and uh, spending time with me both on the Coach's Corner uh, segment and then just uh, wrapping up here with a little bit of sort of a tease, if you will, as John, as you pointed out um, with, um, with Macklemore. So uh, on that note, if you guys want to uh, take a moment, John, uh, sorry, Jim, I uh, will start with you. Uh, just let the folks know the best way they can reach out to you and uh, we can uh, wrap it up. So if you want to let the folks know the best way they can reach you, and, uh, and then John.
2: Yeah, and thanks again for, for having me on, John. It's been great to have the opportunity to, to talk talk golf with you as well, and I uh, always uh, enjoy the time on this uh, podcast, Ted. Uh, you can reach me, uh, information on my Facebook page at uh, Golf. Uh, also on my website at RoyalSt.CloudAcademy.com. And if you want to email me direct with any questions or uh, is at jim at IndicottGolf.com. And uh, looking forward to this weekend with my junior tour here in Orlando. We have a sold out event and uh, looking forward to watching some of these uh, great young players uh, compete this weekend
1: it sounds uh, sounds exciting and best of luck to the youngsters out there and good luck with that and enjoy uh, soak it all in uh, it's uh, always fun to watch some future generation of golfers coming up through the ranks uh, john what what uh, do you want to again let the folks know the best way to reach uh, you and, and any final closing thoughts
3: sure first things first jim i've i've admired you since the first day i've met you having shared some history with each other not knowing that when we first met it's been enlightening as well as as growth oriented as i could ever have a, a compadre thank you really appreciate the time on this podcast but the time we spent together off air and for those in the public who are not familiar with top 50 junior you need to go to that. You need to go to that website. Jim, what is that
2: website?
3: It's top
2: 50 The
3: It's an incredible
2: way for
3: your junior to start to understand whether they're ready or not for competitive golf and whether they're ready or not to withstand competitive golf. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that in a challenging way. Jim and his partners run one first-class operation and have for a long time. And thanks, Jim, for being the starting ground for a lot of my clientele, as well as thank you for being somebody I look up to and I very much appreciate Uh a little bit of a tease, I'm at Macklemore between, again, between October 14th and 30th, and there's a lot of good news to come, a lot of teasing to be had, and, and if you don't like teasing, then call me, 8, 8, 407-852-8547, 1st time I've ever given that number out on this podcast, but if you're looking to visit The best-kept secret in North American golf, if you're looking for quality instruction, contact me, call me, whether it's Orlando, Macklin, or anywhere else in the world, please let me know. I'm more than happy to accommodate you and find out how we can get you to play your best golf and improve your golf skills. Again, thanks, Ted, for the opportunity. Always a pleasure. I'm happy you visited and I'm happy that Macklemore provided you some some opportunities to go forward and prosper and and just sort of put your flag in the world and say, Hey, uh, this is golf talk
2: live.
1: I couldn't agree more. Um, great facility. I look forward to heading back there myself this fall and um, we're gonna this time I'm gonna make sure I get a chance to I give myself a chance to get out there and, and actually play the golf course. Um, I was excited to do that, but, uh, unfortunately it didn't happen mm-hmm. the last time, but definitely. Yeah, definitely will. Uh, but I certainly got, uh, several eye pulls, but as always guys, thank you very much. And, and thank you particularly for sticking around a little bit longer and, and, uh, spending some time. I, I knew the three of us together could, uh, uh, could, uh, talk up a storm. So I had no doubt with, with that. Uh, I think we've all done a good job. So, but I always appreciate it and always, uh, feel that uh, not only do we learn from one another, but uh, certainly uh, expel a lot of knowledge to those listening to the show. We appreciate uh, you guys uh, tuning in and joining as well, and and hopefully you learn something tonight. And for some reason, if you didn't get to tune into the whole show, go to blogtalkradio.com slash Golf Talk Live, and the recorded version will be uh, available here shortly. But on that note, thank you, uh, uh, John and Jim, again for spending time, and I will see you guys next time uh, here on Golf Talk Live's Coach's Corner Panel. Thanks, guys. Have a great weekend, and uh, have fun this weekend, Jim.
3: All right. Well, thanks, Ted. All
1: right. Bye-bye. All right. John Hughes and Jim Endicott, both great uh, golf professionals and uh, part of the uh, uh, Golf Tips Magazine staff, Top 25, uh, and uh, always excited to uh, pick their brains, if you will, and appreciate their input into the show as well. Uh, Next week, we will be back uh, with another uh, Coach's Corner segment and a very interesting guest next week. I hope you'll tune in. Um, But uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Hopefully the weather is nice and clear. Get out and play and uh, make sure you practice and warm up as well. Do the things that we talked about here tonight and you'll have a lot more success uh, moving forward. Have a great weekend, everybody, again, and God bless, and we'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live.
0: Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. We'd like to thank this week's coaches' Corner Panel and a special thank you to tonight's guest. Remember to join Ted every Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Central on Golf Talk Live. And be sure to follow Ted on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you're interested in being a guest on Golf Talk Live, send Ted an email at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.